You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Good morning, my name is Drew Humphrey, and I have been a member of this church family for about 12 years now. I have the privilege of serving as the college minister these days, but this this church and God through this church has really poured so much more into me than I have ever been able to give back to it, and so I'm so thankful to gather around the word of God today. We begin a new series today called Where There's Smoke. You probably heard the phrase, where there's smoke, there's fire, and oftentimes we say this because many times we see the smoke before we see the fire, other times we say this because what we mean is that we have sort of suppressed the fire. We have pretended as if the fire was not there. We sort of hide it, but the smoke still rises up and we try to pretend that we don't see it. And what we're going to do over the next three weeks is look to the word for three particular subjects, that being depression today, anxiety, and anger over the coming weeks. So we're going to look to what the word says about depression This morning, Satan, it was said this morning during a prayer time before men's prayer, before the first gathering, that Satan has taken much ground in this area of depression within the capital C church. I think we'll see that to be true. Even 150 years ago, there was a preacher by the name of Charles Spurgeon. He's a very famous preacher, possibly the most famous preacher ever. He is, his nickname is the Prince of Preachers, and he actually struggled publicly with depression. He talked about it often, even long before we understood it in the depth and the complexities that we do today. He was talking about it and preaching towards it. There's a quote that I'd like to begin with this morning from him, Charles Spurgeon. There are times where our spirits betray us and we sink into darkness. We slip into the bottomless pits where our souls can bleed 10,000 ways and die over and over again each hour. There is no reasoning and the remedy is hard to find. This type of heaviness is all too familiar for so many of us. And for so many within the church, according to a recent Blue Cross and Blue Shield study, depression is the number two health condition for Americans behind hypertension. Not just mental health, but depression specifically is the number two health issue facing Americans. From the years 2007 to 2018, depression went from being 23% of Americans, from affecting 23% of Americans, to affecting 41% of Americans. In just one decade, it nearly doubled. That was as recent as 2018, we were at 41%. And then this past year, we found out that because of quarantine and isolation and all the things that COVID has brought upon us over the last 12 months, there has actually been a three and a half times increase in the symptoms of depression amongst Americans. And so the reason I bring all that up today is to say that this is a pervasive issue across our nation and across the church. If you are not personally struggling with depression or haven't in the past, almost certainly if 40% of our people are struggling with this, then you know someone who has. And so the word today does not return void. There's something for all of us today in the word, whether it's for yourself as someone who's struggling in depression or it's for you as you minister to someone else who is. It's so important to know that depression can be a moving target. There are varying levels of depression. Of course, within the individual's life, it's a moving target, right? Some seasons are heavier or more difficult than other seasons. But even from person to person, it's so difficult because there are differing, there are different varying levels of depression that people struggle with. There are severe forms of depression, like clinical depression or major depressive disorder. But then there are also the less severe versions of depression like situational or circumstantial depression 
it's a moving target. It, it's so difficult to minister to, to speak to, to help people in because it truly is different for every person and even for every person across every season. So I want you to hear me today. If you're struggling with some of these severe forms of depression, especially today's message can be a starting point, but it is not a full prescription for you. Sometimes depression isn't a situational issue that takes some new strategies or to adopt a healthier lifestyle, but it is instead a chemical imbalance that takes more serious forms of counseling and of medication. Just like someone who needs to take heart medicine to regulate their imbalances within them, so sometimes depression can be an issue like this. We understand this as it relates to the heart. If we have sort of these less severe heart issues, the doctor may tell us to change your lifestyle, you know, stress less, work out more, eat better. But then when we get to the more serious forms of heart issues, that's when we start to introduce things like medication or we, we talk to very specific specialists to help us. And so just like heart specialists and heart health, so is depression. In that sometimes for some of us, we just need to change some of our habits or we need to change the way that we're thinking about certain things. And other times we need to go much farther than that. We need help from professionals. We need specialists. We might even need medication. But today, our responsibility and what we're going to look to is to the word. We're asking today from the word for a heavenly prescription for especially those with those situational or circumstantial forms of depression. I confess to you that I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist or any of those psychologists or or a professional counselor. I am just a minister and I want to point us to the word today. And so if you need to see someone else who is one of those things, I would encourage you to do it. But today, let's look to the word and ask God to show us what is there. What we'll see today is that there are symptoms, we'll see causes, we will see results, and then we will see the prescriptions. These are the four things that we're going to look at this morning as we gather together. So you may be asking under these symptoms, what are the symptoms? Have I been experiencing these types of depression in my life? Because the truth is that sometimes it can be difficult to identify if if you're going through this, to diagnose it, if you're going through a major depressive issue or season will pop up and and it'll probably be easy to notice. But these lesser forms of depression can sometimes sneak into your life and exist for a long time, maybe weeks, months, even years at a time under the surface. And so as we talk about symptoms, I'd like for you to look at a chart. uh, This is from the professionals. These are from the guys over at the American Psychiatric Association. They have this diagnostic manual. It's called the DSM-4. The DSM-4 is number four because there was a one, two, three, and there's five. And this is what what they they build up and they they figure out the new ways and, and the new understandings and it grows. It's sort of like the psychiatric Bible for psychologists and for people who are dealing with mental health issues, right? They can look to this and see a standard. This is what they say the symptoms of depression are. Maybe you'll see something in here that, that describes you or someone that you love. There's a poor appetite or overeating. There's insomnia. There's hypersomnia. There's low energy or fatigue. There's low self-esteem. Poor concentration or difficulty making decisions or feelings of hopelessness. These are the symptoms of depression that the professionals would ask us to look at and, and I would put before you today as something to consider. But in addition to that, 
we especially want to look to the word today. What does the word say are the symptoms for depression? So I'd ask that you'd open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 77. Psalm 77 is in the book of Psalms. You probably have been around the Bible even just a little bit. You'll find the Psalms because it's the biggest book right in the middle of the Bible. So if you open to the middle, you'll find the Psalms. And actually right in the middle of the Psalms, you're going to find the 70s, right? And there is chapter 77. I love that from the Lord, right? Like as if he's saying, hey, I know you're going to struggle. I know there will be difficult days. So right here in the middle of this big book called the Bible, I'm going to give you a help. We're going to go verse by verse through the first five verses, and I want us to see these symptoms from the word. So you'll see the text on the screen from the book of Psalms, but then you'll also see the the symptom underneath it. The first thing that we see comes from verse one. I'm reading out of the NIV if you're on the smartphone and want to flip over to the NIV, or it'll be on the screen behind me as well. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. Our first symptom of depression from the word is deep anguish. I mean, have you ever been to that place where you just cry out to God because you're in such pain or or sadness that you just scream out to him when no one's home or you put your head in the pillow and you just scream this inner deepness of pain and of struggle and of confusion? That's what's happening for the psalmist is is he's just crying out in deep anguish. Verse two gives us our second symptom where it says, when I was in distress, I sought the Lord at night. I stretched out untiring hands and I would not be comforted. The second symptom is that there's no comfort and there's no relief. No matter what you do, no matter where you go, no matter who you're around, it it feels as though there's no lasting comfort or help. When you're alone, you wish you were with people. When you're with people, you wish you were alone. When you're at church, you wish you weren't at church. When you're, when you're not at church, you wish you were at church. There's no comfort. There's no relief. The third symptom comes from verse 3 and says this. I remembered you, God, and groaned. I meditated, and my spirit grew faint. The third symptom is that the very thought of God is hurtful instead of helpful. If you've never gone through this before, it, it seems backwards. It seems like God will always be the help. I just need to, we need to pray more. We need to get in the word more. We need to worship more and it'll help. But, but if you've ever tried to minister to someone who's really struggling in depression, it, it can be something that's actually hurtful. Of course, it isn't hurtful in reality, but it's the way that they perceive it. That God, the things of God, thinking of God isn't helpful at all. The fourth thing and the fifth thing actually come from verse four. Verse four says, you keep my eyes from closing and I was too troubled to speak. The first thing in this verse we see is insomnia. Insomnia, you keep my eyes from closing. I had a friend who was going through a major depressive season in his life and he would have entire weeks, he told me, where he would only sleep three to five hours. Not three to five hours a night, three to five hours in a week. He could not sleep. The second thing is is isolation. It's, it's this idea where someone comes to you and says, hey, how are you doing? I remember last week or last month you had mentioned you were struggling and that person has started to pull back and to sort of zip their lips a little bit and say, oh, well, I'm doing fine now. Well, I mean, but come on, unpack it for me. How are you doing? It's like, no, I'm doing, I'm doing okay. It's like, well, okay, yeah, but you're acting like you're not okay. Like you just walk in the door, we're roommates, you go into your room, you close the door, I don't see you. And it's like, oh yeah, I'm just on my computer. You know, I'm just doing my homework and going to bed. And there's this isolation, this zipping of the lips that's happening where it's just shutting down and no one can talk to them about anything or about the deep things anymore. They're too troubled to speak. And the final symptom comes from verse five. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago, were consumed by the good old days. 
or consumed by the better days, as the psalmist puts it. It's not in the sense of remembering the good times to help me in the hard times. It's actually a comparison. It's toxicity. It's, I wish that it was like this. I wish that I felt like this. I wish that people would do this in my life now like they did then. And the good old days become a hurt for us in the present instead of a help. I'd encourage you in your Bible, if you're the kind of person that writes in it, maybe bracket verses one through five and write symptoms of depression right there around that bracket, symptoms of depression, because perhaps you'll come back to this one day. Maybe we can put those back on the screen. You'll see them now, just these different things. Imagine walking through these, these five or six things, the deep anguish, the no comfort, no relief, the very thought of God is hurtful. It's not helpful. There's insomnia. There's isolation. They're, they're consumed by the good old days. Imagine walking through this. Our natural question would be, why? What is the cause of this? Did I cause this? Did someone else cause this? Is this God's fault? Is God not there at all? Like the cause would be our next question. So that leads us from symptoms to cause. The cause can be all sorts of things. It could be biological. It could be spiritual. It could be poor time management. It could be lack of self-discipline. It could be all sorts of things. I want you to hear me clearly this morning that depression can be a biological issue. It can be a biological issue. Just like we talked about heart health, we can have mental health issues. It can be a biological issue, but listen clearly, it is always a spiritual warfare issue and it is always a worship issue. Always. What I mean by that is spiritual warfare. Satan uses depression and brokenness and heaviness to slow us down, to harm our faith. No matter what the cause was, this is what happens every time. It's always a spiritual warfare issue and it's always a worship issue where we take our eyes off of God and depression always causes us to look back down to ourselves, to us. See, depression doesn't always have a spiritual cause, but depression is always deeply and profoundly spiritual. It's always deeply and profoundly spiritual. What I mean by that is that depression may not be caused by your sin. It may not be because you are so far away from God or you're living in sin or someone else's sin in your life. It may not be about that sin, but there is all, it is always deeply and profoundly spiritual in how it affects us. Now, I should say that depression is caused by sin ultimately because it's caused by the fall. This was not God's intent for us to walk through these things. But what I mean in a specific way of your life, the individual reasons why it exists in your life, the cause, is not always connected to spiritual things. But it always has a spiritual effect on us. And that's what the psalmist is going to lead us to see. We see the results of depression next. We've seen, we've seen these symptoms, we've seen the cause, and now we see the results or the effects of depression upon our life. Let's keep reading. Verses six through nine, you might want to bracket these and, and write the results of depression. Verses six through nine, let's read those together. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated, my spirit asked, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Will his unfailing love vanish forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? The results of depression are selfish thinking and false theology. That's what the word tells us. That the results of depression are selfish thinking and false theology. Look back to verse six with me. Selfish thinking first. We're going to see there the personal pronouns, my 
songs, my heart, my spirit. There's a, a self-focus, taking our eyes off of God and putting it on to ourself. But then there's the false theology, right? The next three verses, seven through eight. If you're a Christian, think about these things and you're going to hear them. And you're going to say, God is not like that. This is not who God is. Will the Lord reject forever? Of course, Christian, we know God will not reject forever. We know he will show his favor again. Verse eight, has his unfailing love vanished forever? Of course not. Has his promise failed for all time? Of course not. Has God forgotten to be merciful? Of course he hasn't. Is his, and, and his anger withheld his compassion? Of course he isn't. False theology is starting to be downloaded into this depressed believer's life. As the selfish thinking is taken off of God and his kingdom and put it onto ourself, the false theology comes in and then everything starts to break down. We know that all of us will suffer. Jesus assured us by saying it this way, that that life, in life, we will have troubles. In life, we will have sufferings. This is not a question of can a believer suffer through depression. That is is clear that, that a believer can suffer through depression, both from the Bible, from people like Charles Spurgeon, from others that you may know. The question is not that. The question for us is this, will we suffer faithfully or will we suffer sinfully? Will we suffer in faith or will we suffer in sin? Because depression's bend towards self-focus and false theology, it produces a perfect environment for us to suffer sinfully because we focus on ourselves and we forget what's true about God and then everything becomes about suffering, not in faith, but in sin. So the question is not, can a faithful believer suffer? The answer is clearly yes. The question is, how will I suffer? So we've looked to the symptoms. We've then looked to the cause and the results or the effects of the depression already through the word. But then the the question that we probably all came here for, what are the biblical prescriptions for depression? I understand how to identify it. I understand what the cause might be. I understand what the results of it are in my life. Those things I understand, but what are the biblical prescriptions? I want to remind you that there are also extra biblical prescriptions for depression. Notice I didn't say anti-biblical. I said extra biblical. There are things that come off the page like specialists and counseling and medication that can be a help to you if that applies to you. But today we look to the word for these prescriptions from God. Let's start first with what won't work. The first thing I would like to say that will not work is escapism. I think this is critical even if you don't struggle with depression, any type of sin or any type of struggle. We like to turn towards this idea of escapism. I'm going to define it as the tendency to seek distraction and relief from unpleasant realities, especially by seeking entertainment or engaging in fantasy. We can just look to the last 12 months. There was a study done between Penn State University and a Chinese university that came together. They did a study on people in their regions who were under lockdown during the COVID-19, you know, the big days about a year ago when, when everything was really locked down and for some of those places still locked down. And they did a lot of studies on what people did and how they turned to their smartphones, how they turned to social media to sort of escape from those realities. And, and then they watched how the depression and the people who did that, the depression numbers were rising. That the escapism into our phones or into these false realities was not helping us. It was just pushing down what was actually the problems in our life. And we were hiding them and we were just escaping them. And this was true. We saw this quarantine has shown us that escapism has been our drug to mask the symptoms of depression. 
It has only exacerbated the issues three and a half times apparently over the last year that were always under the surface of our lives. Whereas before we would use things like sports or uh, work or our kids, entertainment, our phones, our fraternities, our sororities. We would use all these things to just sort of escape and, and push away what we needed to work on. That is not a biblical heavenly prescription because escapism makes you busier but it won't make you better if you're taking notes i'd encourage you to write that down it will make you busier but it will not make you better you might kick the can emotionally down the road decades and suppress and suppress and that fire continues to grow under the surface until destruction happens at a certain point so what will work? If, if escapism won't work for us, if it's not a helpful prescription for us, then, then according to God's word, what is the good news? What is the help? And the good news, especially for us, is that these things we're about to read in the book of Psalms, chapter 77, it's both preventative and reactive, these prescriptions. It's preventative in that if you're not struggling with depression, these things will help you to stay away from, from that sort of thing, if you can. And then it's reactive in the sense of if you're going through that, then this can be a balm to your soul. It can help you in these times. So let's pick up the text back in verse 10. I want you to notice as we think about these biblical prescriptions in verse 10, there's a pivot point. Then I thought, it's like now I'm changing my perspective. To this I will appeal to the years when the most high, that's God, stretched out his right hand. Our attention is now moving. Verse 11, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all of your works and meditate on all of your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and of Joseph. The first prescription for depression is this. Lift your eyes off of your life and onto God's kingdom. Lift them, fix them onto God, fix them onto God's purposes. Notice how the psalmist takes his eyes off of himself. Remember in verse 6, it was my, my, my. And then now in verses 10, 11, it's all of a sudden your. It's your ways, your miracles, your works, your deeds. The, the perspective, the focus has shifted. What you focus on matters. Will you focus on God or upon yourself? And then I love that his theology gets right. Verses 13 through 15. Now the theology is correct. God is holy. God is great. God has miracles. God has power amongst his people. His, already, his mighty arm redeems. This is right theology that is being, again, re-downloaded into who he is so that he can walk rightly with God. What you focus on matters. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinks within his heart, so he is. For as he thinks within his heart, it's so important to, to consider what you focus on because depression has a powerful pull to fix our eyes onto ourselves and off of God and off of others, off of his kingdom. And the sad thing is that the more we give in to that pull of self-focus, the harder it is to break free from the depths of depression. And this is a huge reason why the local church exists, why gatherings like this exist, why your small groups exist, ABFs, CGs, Bible studies, discipleship groups, these people in your life who can help you to fix your eyes, refix your eyes on to God and onto his purposes and what is true because left alone, our eyes drift to ourselves. And so we need each other, which leads us to our second prescription, which is this, that great heaviness must be countered by a great reliance upon other people. 
the shift happens from me to your in this passage around verse 10, but there's no indication as to why that is. And so I believe we should, we might have to sort of read in between the lines a little bit. And I love there's actually a little bit of help for this for us. If you look at the very top of this chapter where it says Psalm 77, it's going to tell you a little bit about the context of who wrote it at what time or these sorts of situations, who it's for. And it says that the writer was Asaph. Asaph is an important person because he and his brothers, that's a key idea, his brothers and him were sort of the worship leaders of the temple of God's people. They had been chosen to be those leaders. And I can only imagine that as as Asaph was drifting into deeper self-focus and false theology and depression, that the brothers around him would would come alongside him and help him and refocus him and and help him to to bear this burden. It's it's Galatians 6 chapter 2, which says that we should bear one another's burdens. And the word burdens translates translates to boulders. So these boulders that are too heavy for us to carry, Asaph, it was growing in weight, and I can only imagine, and and I'm sure that his brothers of the faith and of his literal brothers held him up and ministered to him. It's so important to have people in your life who are reminding you of what is true in times like these. Because when someone is struggling, they need someone who isn't struggling to help them internalize and interpret what is going on and what is true in their life. I think the best way to explain this idea of bearing one another's burdens, to rely upon one another, to minister in times of darkness and depression, comes from a friend by the name of Mr. Rogers, okay? And specifically, he has some friends named Daniel Tiger and Lady Aberlin. And you can put them on the screen now. Lady, uh, Lady Aberlin and Daniel Tiger are friends, and they sing these songs, and they teach children and adults uh, about life. And I was in a movie about three years ago, and I watched this scene play out in this movie, and I began to weep because I realized this is what it means to bear one another's burdens. Because what happens is Daniel Tiger, the little puppet on the side, he, he's struggling with identity. He's struggling with maybe I'm not enough. Maybe I'm too weak. Maybe I'm not like tigers should be. And he's, he's slipping into depression and into what is not true about himself. And then his friend, Lady Aberlin, she comes in and she starts to sing in the second verse, this beautiful, just, hey, you are who you're supposed to be. I love you the way that you are. You are exactly who you're supposed to be. And just speaking life and truth into Daniel's life. And then you would think in the third verse, what's going to happen as the video wraps up, the third verse is where they sing this beautiful duet together about how Daniel Tiger has found himself and he's the most amazing tiger. But instead, it's Daniel Tiger's struggles being sung with Lady Aberlin's hope. And it's this beautiful duet of them crossing over each other. And I want you just to listen to it and consider what this is and how it might apply to depression like we're talking about this morning. Sometimes I wonder if I'm a mistake. I'm not like anyone else I know. When I'm asleep or even awake, sometimes I get to dreaming that I'm just a fake I'm not like anyone else others I know are big and are wild I'm very small and quite tame most of the time I'm weak and I'm mild do you suppose that's a shame often I wonder If I'm a mistake, I'm not supposed to be scared, am I? Sometimes I cry and sometimes I shake, wondering isn't it true that the strong never break? I'm not like anyone else I know. I'm not like anyone else. 
If you are the one who is giving out hope, do not be discouraged. Continue to give hope to others. And the third and final prescription as we wrap up is remember who God is and remember what God has done. Let's keep reading verses 16 through 20 as we wrap up this message together. The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. He's remembering when the Egyptians left, excuse me, when the Israelites left Egypt, they were in slavery, they had been freed, and they're now leaving Egypt, and the Israelites are hot on their tail, and they come to the sea, and God splits the sea. Verse 17, the clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Listen to the hope. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters. And I love this next phrase. Though your footprints were not seen, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Remember who God is and what he has done. The psalmist reminds himself what God has done and it encourages his heart. See, his praise becomes his prescription in the darkness. He's reminding himself of the faithfulness of God. It's why we come to places like this and worship. I think about last year or over the last 12 years coming to this very room, to that very section, to this section, sometimes on this platform and pouring myself out in worship, even though everything around me was heavy and hard and difficult. And my praise became a prescription because I was able to remember the faithfulness of God as I sang these songs, praise, whether it's worship or prayer or time in the word or time with others praise and worship is a prescription for the darkness it's a reminder to the psalmist that God will never forsake you God will never give up on you he is with you when all seems lost and we cannot forget this I just want to close by reminding you of this last phrase though your footprints were not seen you led your people like a flock See, may the depressed one today not be deceived that though you may not see him, God is leading you. He is ministering to you. God is comforting you. God is upholding you in your weightiness, in the heaviness. Do not be deceived for the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the word of depression speaks. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the word that Satan will speak to you and me. We will be lost without Christ. We will be hopeless without each other. What Jesus' blood has done amongst us, it allows us to get through. And it allows us to make, make it through difficult days. Jesus said to us, come to me, all, all of you who are weary, all of you who are burdened. Might I even add, all of you who are depressed. And I will give you rest. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Let's pray. Jesus, when everything around us gives way, you are the solid rock. And sometimes we experience the solid rock through the word or just through conviction to, or comfort to just change our lifestyle. Sometimes we experience the solid rock of Jesus Christ through another. Lord, sometimes we experience the solid rock foundation of Jesus Christ through just a supernatural event. Lord, we ask for your spirit, for your, for your solid foundation to rest under the feet of your church. Lord, because we know that with depression, Satan has gained much ground. Lord, but you are the conqueror of sin and of death and of darkness and of heaviness. And so, Lord, we look to you. God, I pray if there's anyone on the stream today, anyone in this room today who is living a double life of faking faithfulness on the outside, faking strength on the outside, but internally they are depressed, they are lowly, they are hurting, they are isolated. 
Lord, I pray that that double life would break down today, that they would go to you, that they would go to others, and that they would receive ministry. Lord, as they go forward with this hope of heaven, Lord, this is why we remember it's for the hope of heaven, the prescription, the heavenly prescription that you've given to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.